Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. This is George Theroy. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for tuning in for over 250 episodes over the past five years. It has been an amazing run, and we are wrapping up the first month of the year already with this episode. I'm so glad that you have been able to listen in, and I hope that you have enjoyed these discussions as much as I have. And the great thing about these particular conversations that have uh, taken place over this month is that they wouldn't have happened if I hadn't reached out on threads of all places and basically just said that, hey, I'm running out of time. I need to get my schedule all set for for this for this month's worth of interviews and I don't have too much time to do it. And thankfully, a fellow podcaster, Rena Friedman Watts, answered the call and not only connected me with th- with two out of the four spots that needed to be filled, but she graciously decided to come on and fill another one of those spots. And I was that gave me the confidence to keep on reaching out. And I was able to get Stephanie Moon on here, who you already got to hear and enjoy at the beginning of this month. So this has been a wonderful, wonderfully productive month for Excelsior Journeys and a big thanks to Rena Friedman Watts for making that happen. And it's, I, I love the fact that Rena has been able to come on this show. She has been for over 300 episodes running her own show, Better Call Daddy, which is an interview show that features her own father chiming in at the very end to provide his feedback. Rena is no stranger to the world of of media, having gone from an intern to a producer for the Jerry Springer show, and then also becoming a researcher for Court TV for over five years. And she has been also using her experience to found and spearhead her own production company, Megawatts Productions, which can take your concept, no matter what the platform, and move it from idea to reality and even provide marketing assistance. So Rena has been doing everything possible to provide the best possible entertainment for you out there. So it's only right that we get her on here to share her journey and also learn a lot more about what what went into putting all of this together. So it is my honor to welcome Rena Friedman Watts. Rena, how are you? Wow, that was an amazing professional intro. I am very impressed. And you are my first match on threads. We are a success story. I absolutely Woo-hoo! love that. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you've also been on pod match as well, haven't you? I have. I don't use it so often, but I need to go back through there because they did send me a lot of leads. Oh, definitely do so. I I have I consider myself a pod match success story with everything that I've been able to get from everything that everything that they've provided. There have been just some amazing guests that have been on here that I wouldn't have known about if Podmatch had not connected me with them. So I I highly recommend that. And they're not paying me to say that either. So A lot of times I'll have people reach out to me on there and I'll connect with them on social and I'll kind of feel them out to see if I can get to know them better first. Mm, That's a good way to do it and because you want to have that good, that good rapport with them. Yeah. It's, it's also interesting. Like I've had authors reach out to me and same thing. I'm like, I'll check out your book. Let's add each other on social. Let's get to know each other. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if you have a deeper connection than the relationship on the interview even can be better. Yeah, I agree. Because then exactly what more you can talk about. And it just becomes more fun. 
It does. It does. At the end of the day, this whole format, this wonderful world of podcasting, it's supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun doing it, why are you doing it? Does it a hundred percent? It sure isn't for the money. (laughs) (laughs) When the fun goes away, then you got to start. Yeah, exactly. Yourself. Why am I doing this? Exactly. So before we go into your own origin story, tell us a little bit about Better Call Daddy. Yes. Well, you and I, right before we started recording, we're talking about Jerry Springer's final thought. And I really also kind of modeled my show after that, to be honest. It was like, I constantly call my dad. He is my go-to for all of life's questions, relationship Mm -hmm. questions, marriage questions, work questions. And so I was like, wow, I feel like my dad gives solid advice. He's been married for 40 plus years. He took care of his parents. He's been a solid brother. He he ran a company for 40 plus years with his parents. I felt like he gave me a lot of advice that I feel like could help others. And he's really good at synthesizing what I say. So I was like, I can do the interviews and find the people and market it because that's Mm -hmm. my love. And then he can wrap up what I say with his his two cents. And he's a total character. So we make a good dynamic duo because I don't so much like to wrap it up. And he's really good at that. (laughs) That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. So it's basically just like just kind of soaking in everything and then just say like, well, so it sounds like you're doing this, this, this and this. And then that's it. It's just like. Okay, so why like why continue to add all of that additional elements to it when it's just like you can get broken down so succinctly like that? That's yeah, that's he breaks it down, he adds his flair, and a lot of the guests will have a question for him. So I've made that kind of part of the format too. Like, hey, is there anything you'd like to ask my dad? And so people speak about all different subject matters. And I've now talked to my dad about sex and sperm donation and incest. And if he'd like to build wow. a sex room, all kinds of subject matters, matchmaking, me and my dad are getting quite the education together. <laughs> it's it's very much an extended version of the talk. So it's, it's terrific. <laughs> yes, yes. And too, just like, hearing from other people about their relationships with their father or what were they taught that they're keeping and and not keeping and if they don't have that relationship like my dad's even offered to adopt a few of my guests so it's been cool (laughs) it's great that's awesome that's awesome have they have they taken them up on it a few people have called him dad which is really sweet and a lot of people want his approval which is also cute oh you know everybody wants daddy's approval they feel like they're being brought home to dad (laughs) oh that's so cool that's so cool and that really shows that that there's a real good connection as well with your audience so that's terrific It is truly amazing. And my favorite part is like when past guests bring me somebody that they're like, this person would be perfect for you. And I get that all the time. And that is really how I measure my success. It's not in downloads. It's like, who are your past guests bringing you? Like, Mm -hmm. are you keeping those relationships going? What is your retention like? Right? Like I look at my retention and sometimes I'm in a hundred percent retention for seven weeks. I'm like, that's insane. To me, that is like a tremendous measure of growth. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that's, that is definitely a feature that you really want to want to take a look at. Those analytics can really give you a good lesson of where you're going with your show and who you have on as well, who connects more with the with your listeners and 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 just everybody has ideas mm -hmm. like how we connected from one post on threads yeah i connected with this chick recently from one post i did on twitter it was like Mm -hmm. hey i want to support other indie podcasters if you're a Mm -hmm. daddy's girl have an inspirational father or some daddy drama hit me up and she was like i'm a daddy's girl and then she wrote me like three paragraphs she's only ever been on one podcast a long time ago she's going through a relationship breakup she's lost her father and she was like hey let's do an episode on closure i was like damn Mm -hmm. that's a great subject matter just yeah everybody has has topics that can inter interweave into your theme. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and this this conversation is definitely huge as well because one of the things that I really wanted to focus on for 2024 is other podcasts because 
just like just like my my audience can can learn from every guest that I have on, I feel like I can learn from other podcasters. What can I do to improve this show? What can I do to to add a, an extra element that I hadn't thought about before? And so things like this, conversations like this are nothing but positive for everyone involved. Yeah. So one thing I recently learned from teaming up with other podcasters on Twitter, by the way, Twitter has an awesome podcast community. If you have not gotten active on Twitter and found some podcasting folks, I got to teach you that. But I, I actually was pretty active on Twitter and only recently it, it it soured on me like to a point where it was just like, I I felt like it just wasn't, I wasn't getting what I needed out of it. And so I felt like I was, just, it was just like, I was wasting time. I was just on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't getting anywhere. So I just needed to, I just decided to focus on what was going to really work for me. And so I left Twitter, but as soon as I did, I kind of like upped my, involvement on threads and all of a sudden that just blew up. So whatever, like it seems like the good elements of Twitter are kind of like filtering out over to threads. So I feel like I'm getting all the good stuff that I missed over on Twitter without getting the toxicity that also has a place on Twitter. Oh yeah. So, So I'm glad that I was able to, to do that. And I feel like all of a sudden, just like getting a few months worth of potential shows lined up just from a few of those posts and just on on threads. So kudos to threads for 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 stepping up and kudos to the people of threads that are on there, because it's it's not like it's not it's not like it's threads itself that's make that's making this happen. It's the people that are there that are making it happen. Yeah, yeah, it matched us together. So yeah, there you go. There you go. It's a win-win right there. I was just going to say, like on Twitter, I saw somebody say, hey, I'm looking for podcasters that want to announce themselves, their show, and my show. And I was like, oh, wow, that's such a great way to like mix up your intro every week and kind Mm. of open up your show to more audiences. And then I was like, not only can I switch the intro every week by having another podcaster introduce me, but I could also take a trailer of another podcast that I listen to, like reach out to podcasters who you like and drop a trailer at the end. So, I mean, you've got room as a pre-roll, a mid-roll, an outro, right? Mm -hmm. You've got three spots and you could eventually charge for this. And I know podcasters that do, everybody's looking to monetize somehow, but yeah. one way to really grow your audience and collaborate with other creators and creatives who you like is to give them an opportunity to collaborate with you in a small way, then in a a bigger way, and then in a bigger mm-hmm. way, and it leads to more and more things. And so recently, over the past couple of months, I I have put up posts like that on a lot of my different social media channels saying, hey, if you're a podcaster, if you're a creator, if you got a good mic, mm-hmm. right? Introduce yeah. yourself, say what you do and introduce me and come up with something funny about your daddy and let's throw it up. <laughs> That's great. That is so cool. I love that. I love yeah, that. I, I really love that. And I've seen other podcasters do things even around holidays like, hey, just say your name, your show, what you do and mm-hmm. happy new year. And they'll cut together like 10 of them. Oh wow! And they'll drop music under it, and then yeah. you've got like a fun bumper. That is fun. That that sounds great. That sounds great. I love that. And that's something that I can definitely kind of utilize for the network that I'm a part of. So, because I'm always thinking of trying to think of ways to get more interaction between the shows. So something like that would be fantastic. Yeah, each show could say, hey, I'm Rena from The Better Call Daddy, and now you're mm-hmm. listening to XYZ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. So let's go into what I like to call the lightning bolt moment. And with you, like, there's always, I mean, there's always one. Everyone's got one where they experience something, read something, see something or whatever that just makes them want to say like, Ooh, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of, that's the direction I want to go in. That's the kind of life I want to be. That's the person I want to be. So for you, 
what was it about media in itself that really kind of got you going? Because you started off as an intern, correct? Well, even before the Jerry Springer show in college, I had the opportunity to work for an NPR station where I read the news of the weather. And essentially, you're taking news stories off the wire, the news wire, you're editing them, and then you're reading them in your own way on air. And I was also like loading the features. And this was like even pre-automation. And so at night or in those early mornings when I was working at the radio, I was like making air check tapes and kind of singing in the booth and having fun with it. I was playing with it. I was learning the tools. And I have to say, I kind of had a light bulb moment there. Nice. My creative juices were definitely flowing in that recording studio. Yeah. And I went from interning or working minimum wage mm-hmm. like at the NPR station on campus to interning for a news station and kind of getting to work on some local commercials and like going out on local shoots. Oh, wow. To just trying different parts of production. I was a Mm -hmm. script supervisor. I was an assistant editor. I was a post-production supervisor. I've tried so many different parts of the production process and Mm -hmm. kind of found, like you said, those light bulb moments of like, oh, this feels good. Oh, I don't like Mm -hmm. this. Oh, I like this. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. And then that once you were able to start working for Springer, this was during the point where they had made that shift, correct? Yes. I like was the shift there that everyone knows. Like as Springer started off as so as so I don't want to say bland, but <laughs> just it was like in the style of like Donahue. You know, like Yes, um, it was a yeah, shift and, from a serious talk show and a Donahue style show to throwing chairs and outrageous sensationalism. It was really yeah. the start of reality TV. Yeah. Everybody wanted their 15 minutes of fame and Mm -hmm. we were shipping them in from all over the U S to give it to them. Wow. Wow. It was was, crazy. What was that experience like? It was, I mean, first of all, it was my first job out of college. So at the time I didn't even realize what a lucky experience that was. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to be a part of the party. I mean, it was crazy. We were getting 1500 calls a week. I was getting to go through all those calls, calling the people back, trying to figure out whether the stories were real or not, Mm -hmm. whether the people wanted to come. I had to scan people's IDs, get marriage certificates, get them to fax from places. I mean, This is pre-internet leads, pre-people being able to email the show. They were calling in 1-800-96-JERRY, and I had to try to get all of those people involved in the story to come. So it was wrangling cats. Mm. Wow. Wow. And were you while you were doing that, did you have – I'm sure you had plenty of experiences where it turns out that the stories were completely false, right? I have to say one time – they had me totally convinced. And it's not only me, like it has to go through other people to make it there. And they had pulled it off. They had it so down. And I was like, I, they got there. I was like, you better pull this shit off on stage or you're walking home. Yeah. I was like like, everything that you did on that phone to have me convinced you better do that. And more, you better rip that bitch's hair out. (laughs) So, so you knew, so by the time they got to the the studio, you knew that it was fake. I that particular story was fake. Got there, and the thing yeah. is, is like there were elements of truth to the story. I mean, mm. if you said that you were married, you had to prove that. Yeah. If you said that you were related, you had to prove that. Whether mm. they were really sleeping together, it's hard to tell. But if they're willing yeah. to make out, that's gross enough. <laughs> <laughs> gross enough. That's fa- that's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> So you were there when they were were doing the the too hot for TV VHS tapes, right? Yeah, I remember that was that was that was quite the rage for a while. I mean, I worked on this one direct to DVD that was like I paid one of my college girlfriends. Like I think that we paid her like a couple hundred bucks to throw darts into somebody's back. Like this guy, wow. his name is Pondo. He was a wrestler, and yeah, he was a glutton for pain. And yeah, she. She like threw one, it went in and started dripping. Just like, ah! She was oh. like, Do I have wow. to do that again? It was just like a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, like I had college girlfriends that like came in the audience. I had friends from Chicago. I mean, it was, I'm telling you, it was just a freaking lifestyle. Yeah. I was living and breathing that life. And I always wonder now, like, could I have done that with kids? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I know some people stayed on for 20 years, but I worked there during its heyday and kind of got Mm -hmm. my fill of it and heard thousands of stories. And then I moved to LA and, Worked in reality TV. I was lucky enough to work on Nanny 911 from start oh, to finish. Really? So from pilot all the way through season three, I was a post-production supervisor on that show, which was amazing. And mm-hmm. I still keep in touch with a lot of the nannies. I had one of them on my show. No kidding. Um, oh, that's yeah. right. So they remembered you and everything? Like, and, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I worked on the show for like close to three years. So it was a, it was a tight crew. I worked on – I worked for VH1 and MTV and E! and just – like I said, it was Jerry Springer, like got me into the producers guild. So from there, I was able to apply to jobs internally within the producers guild and found out about jobs that were posted there before they were posted anywhere else. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of opportunity at that time. At the start of reality TV, it was just like, you bounced from show to show. It was like, Mm -hmm. if one show didn't get picked up, you did unemployment and you went on to another show. Wow. It's kind of the life. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's one hell of a life. It was one hell of a life in my twenties. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the time when you want to do it. Like when, when you're young and everything and you have that, that you have that drive, you have that experience and you have that freedom to be able to do that like that and just be able to pack up and go from Chicago over to LA. Yeah. That's, that's fabulous to be able to do that. I knew no one. I, and I went from being a producer with my own office in NBC tower and smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and making a good salary to starting all the way over and not knowing anyone. And so I took like an executive assistant role to three seasoned producers at a special effects animation company in Burbank. And they were working with the big studios. And so I learned how to do budgeting and I learned how to do payroll for 200 people. And I learned how to do accounts payable and receivable. And I learned the business side of working in the film industry. And then from there, luckily, you know, they saw the stars in my eyes and they kind of supported me answering the phones. But I was also mm-hmm. applying for production jobs that were harder to get. And so once I got like a field interviewer role and went on the road with VH1 for like eight weeks and then that show didn't get picked up, they let me come back to answer the phone. So if you can oh, get in with a couple great people in Hollywood, you can kind of ride on the coattails of others for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then what eventually led you over to Core TV? Yeah. So what's interesting is after I was a post-production supervisor on a show for MTV and for Nanny for three years, Judge Alex was looking for a post-production supervisor in Texas. And I applied for that job through the Producers Guild and they flew me out from LA to Houston and... Let's just say that post-production supervisors do different things on different shows, as do producers and executive producers. And this post-production opportunity, they wanted me to edit the show. They should have called it an editor role, but they called it a post-production supervisor. And I got out there and was like, holy crap. Like, they gave me a tape. They gave me a VCR and a a remote. And they wanted me to cut together the show. And I was unprepared to do that. I hadn't worked in court TV yet. And didn't really know the flow of the show. I tried my Mm -hmm. best, but I did not get it. But I kept in touch with the person that flew me out there and the show. And then when my husband got a job back in my hometown of Kentucky is he was working in Silicon Valley for a while. And then we ended up moving back to the Midwest. Mm -hmm. They were looking for researchers in the Midwest. And so I started doing that. And I went to courthouses in Kentucky and Indiana. And then we moved back to Chicago. I ended up keeping the show and going to courthouses in Chicago. I got special clearance and I knew what they were looking for because I had worked in casting. I knew the juicy stories. And so I would comb through hundreds of stories. I brought like a a scanner, like a document mm-hmm. scanner. And yeah. I would go in there and and I got in with the clerks and I would find out when they had cases and when they had a good stack. And I was going all over Kentucky, all over Indiana, all over Chicago, beating out the other court TV shows, finding out when they were there, when I, sh- when, when I should go. And wow. I did that for five years. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's, that sounds like, <laughs> that sounds just, you know, so like I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with like the right word. Just I mean, just like intense. It it sounds so intense and just constantly moving, 
but at the same time, exhilarating. It was so, like so much fun. And the thing is, is that I had become a mom by this time. So I would nurse my kid, drop yeah. him off at the babysitter for four hours, go to court, find some juicy stories, wow. come back, nurse my kid, take him home. And I'm like, I could do both. And that was yeah. really like my way of inching back into the industry. And from there, I ended up helping cast on America, America's Got Talent one season, Divorce oh, wow. Court, Hot Bench. So it led to me casting for other shows and showing them, hey, Hollywood, I can still do this while my kids are in school. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. So it's so you're showing that you can you can still like do it all and still be able to not just get by with it all. Like it sounds like you're you're not only doying everything at the same time, but doing it well. And, and having fun, you, like you said. Yeah. It's funny. I was on this show in Chicago, Windy City Nanny, and it was after I had my fourth kid. I had had a baby seven weeks early, and I was having real career momentum, actually, at the time. Mm -hmm. And this, like, threw me for a total whirlwind. And she was interviewing women that were divorced or who were who had babies in the NICU or had blended families. They were looking for different angles. And yeah. I connected with the nanny. It's funny because I worked on a nanny show and then I got mm -hmm. cast on a nanny show. So I got to see both sides of that. But I connected with this this nanny. Her name is Florence Ann Romano. I'm still in touch with her. She's been on my show. And mm -hmm. she was like, Rena, you can have it all. Nice. She's like, I know it looks really hard to do that right now. And at the time, I was producing a live in-person healthcare podcast where I was supervising a three-camera shoot, and I did that for an entire year. And I had a remote podcast client that I was working with, and I was helping authors get testimonials for their books. And I, I just had – it was honestly like I was in the best financial position that I had been in, but this baby came seven weeks early. My husband hadn't even told his job that I was pregnant. We were going to do it like oh a month before. By kid four, Ugh. you're like, everything's yeah. fine. And then this whirlwind happened. And I was like, oh my God, I think for the first time in my life, like I need a nanny. I need help. I, I've got three older kids that still need me. They're taking care of themselves mm. right now. Like, yeah, I've got these clients. Like, should I not take any more clients? It was, I, I was at a point of overwhelm where mm. I needed to just hear that, yes, you can still do this all. And here's how. <laughs> oh, wow. So you just needed that guidance just to say like, you had all the pieces in front of you. It's just a matter of configuring it in the right way. And and finding a support system. And and yeah. one thing we also talked about right before this was, what would I tell somebody that wanted to take a path into what I've done? Mm -hmm. Find a support system. And also yeah. my podcast with my dad. My dad is my number one supporter, my biggest encourager. He's always who I call. I would not be where I'm at in my career or in my life, if I didn't pick supportive people around me, I wouldn't yeah. have four kids if I didn't have a supportive, amazing husband that holds down the fort and has a corporate job. <laughs> right. That's fabulous. Yeah. You, you definitely need that sort of support system. Even if they don't listen to the show on a regular yeah. basis or anything, as long as they are giving you the, the time that you need to get what you need to do done for it and are even there to suggest different guests to come on that in itself is hugely supportive because it shows that you're like, Hey, you're, you're, you get it. You're invested. So, and that getting this person on would get a whole lot of, lot of attention. So I love um, that you just brought that up actually. So yeah, my husband listens to my show like on occasion, but Mm -hmm. He has actually given me some of those kind of guests that you're talking about. Like there's this girl on Twitter. Her name is Batia Unger Sargon. And mm -hmm. she is a Berkeley grad, PhD, super smart. She is a chief opinion editor at Newsweek. And I felt like I wanted to cover the Israel-Gaza war, but I didn't feel educated enough to like speak my piece on that. Oh, wow. And so I had her come on and she was really able to present both sides and speak about it in a very educated way. And it's the only episode that I've done on that subject matter. And that came from my husband. He found her. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. And he's given me a couple really great guests that he's like, Hey, if you research this person, they could be great for your audience. And I love yeah. that. So yeah, yeah like, that's supportive. I still remember a couple, a uh, year or so ago, my, my wife was really into this one show that, um, that was a sex in the city based podcast. And the, the two, the two hosts of this show, I couldn't help but wonder 
were were great. They were they were terrific going back and forth and everything. And that inspired me to reach out to them to be guests on my show and talk about that show. And not only did they come on, but I had my wife as as a co-host for it. And so she got to get involved and got to ask questions and get involved in the conversation. And it was so much fun. I love that. I've had my husband fill in for my dad because. Oh, no kidding. If a, if a guest has a similar story to my husband or has done things that my husband wants to do and my husband would have a question for that guest or relate to that guest, I've had him fill in a couple times. Yes, because I felt like my husband would actually give a, a good wrap up or a take on their stories. And part of my intro is my kids being a part of the Better Call Daddy introduction to the show. And so if there's a guest that I feel like my kids think is cool, like I had on Zion Clark, he is a Paralympic. He was on America's Mm -hmm. Got Talent. He's a Guinness World Book record. He runs the fastest on his hands. Mm -hmm. So my son that's into working out, I had him ask a question around his workouts and and my other kids just wanted to meet them. So that was cute. I think it's, yeah, it's great to get your family involved in your creative endeavors. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's one of the things that I get that I get to do with my daughter on occasion is she'll my daughter's six. And so like she'll she's really gotten into reading over the past couple of years. And what I just had her do recently is actually sit in my studio and read and basically like narrate her first audiobook. And it was so cute. It sounds it sounds terrific. And she is a great reader. And she's really getting into it. You can hear her like certain lines just all of a sudden, like she's picking up the cadence and she's picking and she's speaking words that other kids probably would have stumbled over. And she's speaking them without any issues. And it's it's just great. It's just great to hear. And I got to share that with family members, just like, how cool is this? And they love it. So it, it becomes that little extra element. And she loves just kind of sitting in the in my studio and just turning out, putting on audacity, hitting record and everything, and then just going to YouTube and singing along with stuff. So she's she's getting a kick out of it as well. Sounds like you might have a little daddy's girl on your hands. I think so. Like that's I that that's that's definitely where where things are going right now. She always loves to hang out in here and and have fun just do, doing that, doing those sort of things. So, well, now I want her and you to make me a promo for my show. How cool is that? Oh, that'd be great. That would yes. be, be so much fun. I would love that. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> That's so cute. I love that you're encouraging her to do that. And I also have, I've interviewed my daughter mm-hmm. and I've had her do some intros of guests where she'll be like, and now the one and only. Yeah. Oh, so. that's so cute. Yes, I think that, that, that so adds cute. such flavor to your show. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I haven't gotten her involved on the show itself yet, but I feel like as she gets older, I, I got a feeling like it's going to wind up happening. So so I think she'll have a lot of fun with that. Um, but I'd, I'd like to, to know from you what uh, you, all of this producing, all of this researching, like all post-production work that you were doing like over the years, what got you into podcasting in general? Yeah. So I connected with a guy on LinkedIn and he was looking for help booking guests. And he was like, you would be so great at that. We had such a good rapport, like, and a lot in common that was so crazy. Like we had the same birthday. We got married, I think a day apart. We had the same number of kids in the same order. We just got along so grandly. It's crazy that we even figured all of that out. And I was a fan of his show and I started booking him guests and his ratings started going up. And then one guest that I booked him, it was funny. Me and my daughter were doing like hip hop dance moves in our living room. And I reached out to the guy and was like, you are the best teacher I've ever seen. And I noticed that you were wearing a couple brand shirts in your video. Are they a sponsor of your of your videos. And he was like, no, I don't have any sponsors. And I was like, oh, well, hey, I've worked in sponsorship before. Maybe I could reach out to those brands on your behalf. I mean, you've got millions of followers and you're an amazing teacher. Mm -hmm. So, and then, so I connected with that guy. His name is Miran Kirkosian. He he was on this Next Level People show that I was helping cast. Mm -hmm. And then I had a friend 
that I knew from LA and her show had really taken off. Kathy Heller, host of Don't Keep Your Day Job. And I reached Ooh. out to her and I was like, hey, I know your entire show is about people that have turned a passion into business. This guy was like a backup dancer to Madonna and Britney Spears and Selena Gomez. And mm-hmm. he now trains young artists and has a studio. He would be perfect for your show. And she was like, I'd love to film him in front of a studio audience. And I was like, okay, this never happens. Whoa. So I decided to fly out to LA, meet back with her. I hadn't talked to her in years. Yeah. Except for when I was casting for America's, America's Got Talent, I tried to get her on. She didn't get picked, but yeah. I I just decided sometimes these things like never happen. You got to pay really close attention to that, right? Mm -hmm. So I just bought my own ticket, flew out to LA, met him, met her. And then she was like, hey, if you could start booking me guests like this, I want to hire you. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I got in. She's like a top... I think her podcast gets like a half a million downloads a month. Like, and I worked for her for about a year and then the pandemic happened, but I start, I booked her Howard Schultz. I booked her Barbara Corcoran. Ooh. I booked her Derek Sivers, some big guests. Oh man. That's yeah. Huge. And then I also saw how she ran her coaching program and I became one of her coaches and I got her on tons of podcasts and then the pandemic happened and I'm stuck home with four kids mm-hmm. and it didn't really so much work for me to like work for her full time and have four kids at home. So I was like, I should start my own show. I've worked behind the scenes of others for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I know how to book guests. I know how to brief guests. I know how to write scripts. I know how to edit. Like mm-hmm. I should do this and I yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> like. Oh, that's awesome. That is so cool. And then, so what, what was the catalyst that really kind of got your show format off and running? What's crazy is even when I was out there, like I put together a 350 person event for Kathy and my dad was actually in LA, like working with one of his customers. And I was seven months pregnant at the time. And my dad was like, you're not going to be moving around those chairs. I will. I'll be your PA. And so like, my dad has like literally always been a part of my story. When I was at Jerry Springer and like, I couldn't get booked. I'm like, who in your factory is sleeping with two people? Like, (laughs) like my dad is my wingman. So like he, it it was kind of, and he's always wanted his own show. He's always been my cheerleader. So I knew that like, he wouldn't back out on me. Yeah. And I also felt like there's been a lot of times in my life where I'm like afraid to be on stage. Mm -hmm. So like I sang the Star Spangled Banner like at a basketball game in college and I had my sister stand up there and like hold my hand. And like I spoke in front of like 50 police officers in Chicago for a nonprofit event and interviewed somebody who had stopped a synagogue shooting. And I had a couple friends be in the audience so that like I wasn't nervous in doing it. And I just knew that if I did a podcast with my dad, I'd be able to be myself and he would add like that flair to my show, which like was kind of like Jerry's final thought. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That is that is so cool. And I I just I, I kind of picture your dad <laughs> with the as kind of like with the Merv Griffin set from Seinfeld. Just like just getting finding any sort of way to like get a get a show going. It just it just sounds like he like says that sort the of funniest feeling. things that just come out naturally. Yeah. And I just encourage it. <laughs> just he would be he would be just like the perfect person just have on, like on a show. And so and or even just like running his own show. So it sounds like kind of like what you got going with this format. It's almost like the best of both worlds for him. Like he yeah, gets to come on and be a staple. To it. And he yeah, literally he to... like he'll message me and he'll be like, Do you have another one for me to react to? Like I also like this past year was like really reflecting on the fact that like I wanted to share my dad's wisdom with the world, but the more people that have shared their wisdom with us, it's like upped our wisdom rating. Yeah. So it's been like a combination and it's also been like so awesome to have a project with my dad in my forties, like Mm -hmm. midlife. Yeah. That we've created like this time capsule now for my children and my children's children. Like legacy is really big to my dad. And mm-hmm. and we have done that together. That's this has great. become our legacy project. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so cool. That is fabulous. And what was it like when you got that first episode out there? What was the, what was the feeling? Oh man, I'm a perfectionist. And so... <laughs> And what's so funny, no matter how big of a perfectionist you are, like you're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna want to re-record and 
you're going to want to do it over. Mm -hmm. So it was a bit of like, oh my God, what are people going to think? And then also, hey, I did this. This is cool. I can, I can grow on this. Yeah. And then just kind of just build from there. It's been over, over 300 episodes now. Is that right? Yeah. I'm close to 350. I just published like 345 and just, I've even been tempted to like go back to some of those earlier episodes and just like unedit them. (laughs) Oh, really? Because they're so tightly edited. Like I had a really like short attention span and I cut out a lot of stuff and now I Hmm. am editing much less. And I'm almost to the point where I feel confident enough that maybe I wouldn't even need to edit at all. That's, that's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. And and that's, that's a great feeling to have too, knowing that you have that confidence in yourself and your guest that you can just go ahead and, and take it from, 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 from your, from your editing software, right over to your host, your hosting platform without any issues at all. Like that's, that's terrific. Yeah. I feel like that is almost a goal. And even when I was talking about those little promo clips that, Mm -hmm. that I've had people do for me. Yeah. I even put some of those out with no music. Like, Hey, somebody just recorded this on the fly and boom, look how cute it is. Right. Like it it. can be a mix. You can fine tune things, auto tune things, drop in effects, make it flashy, or you can just show that somebody made you something fun and and put it up there. It doesn't all have to be so produced. Mm -hmm. And speaking of produced, that, that, uh, that drive that you have and the experience that you have that led to megawatts productions, correct? Yes. And I've just had some unbelievable opportunities with that. I was in Chicago a couple years ago and I had won some Instagram contest where it was supposed to be for a wax job, like get some hair waxed off. I'm like, I've waxed off everything. Like, can you put some hair back on? I was like, how about some lashes or something? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I went to this studio in Chicago and she did my lashes beautifully. And then I was like, Hey, how about some makeup? And so I paid to get a makeover and then we got into talking about my career journey and whatnot. And she was like, oh, hey, my husband owns a production company in the back of here. I was like, what? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, he's working on a healthcare podcast and needs somebody who can brief the host, book the guests, supervise the cameras. Put it all together. Yeah. Basically everything that you've done. And it, it led to one of my biggest and most awesome opportunities where I I ended up producing a healthcare podcast for about a year and it was all in person and Mm -hmm. I pre-screened all the guests and I wrote all the scripts and I worked with the host and the teleprompter and the web team and all of it. It was so cool. And then that led to me doing another healthcare show and I've got like three potentials in the works right now. So it's so exciting. You're never too old to do things that you love. You just have to continually collaborate with people and find people that you work well with. And Mm -hmm. another thing that I would say is hire people before you need them. So Mm. I am always open to, I get pitched all the time from different editors on LinkedIn. Like, Hey, I make short form reels. I'm like, really? How much do you charge for that? And let me see what you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always looking to collaborate with editors. I'm always looking to collaborate with voice talent. I'm always looking to collaborate with actors because I'm working on tons of projects all the time where I like to have those people in my Rolodex. Absolutely. You never know when Absolutely. you're going to need somebody that can do graphics or that can do voices or. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, as soon as you said voice <laughs> actors, I was like, hmm, I just set, set up a little bit more straighter over here. <laughs> In addition to, it's been over 250 episodes of this show, but I also have my sister show from Duck Till Dark outside the Marvel Studios. I have over a dozen audiobooks that I've already done with more to follow. I have two right now that are in their, their corrections stage, right? And then once they're done, hey, that's two more. And they're both epic books. And then... Other ones that that are already slated, I got two more that I have on my plate ready to ready to jump in. So it's it's been busy, but I've always been looking at the voice acting part of it all as a means of like, okay, that 
that spot needs to get filled a little bit more because I got the podcasting, obviously got the writing with, with, with the books that I have that are currently with, with a publisher. I got the audiobook narrating, but the voice acting part, that part is a little shallow. I need to fill that a little bit more. So well, I'm glad to know that. And I've even had authors ask me if I was interested in potentially doing that. And I actually oh, doing turned it down because narrating an entire book is very time yes. consuming. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah, it, de- it definitely can be, especially when you're working full time and only have a specific amount of time to dedicate to that each day. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I just like, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's, it's given me quite a bit. It's given me some amazing connections. I'm doing my sixth book with the same client right now, I'm finishing that one up. So it's, it's very exciting, but at the same time, I totally get it when people say that, that they just can't, they can't fathom doing an entire book. I get it. I totally, I totally understand. I just, just this past, just last year, I did my first nonfiction book. So, and that was its own epic, epic saga, but it was part of a roster that I'm, that I'm on right now. So it was, it, it felt more, I don't want to say, it felt like it was really kind of taking everything to another level. So that's something that I'm really, really proud of. That's so cool. And I think it's good to talk about that. So the more you talk about it, people then know that you want to do that and that you're capable of doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things that I am curious to know from you is, say there is someone who has an idea for, we'll say, a podcast. Yeah. They have that idea. They have a concept and everything in mind but they're unsure about what to what to do next. They have the equipment. We'll we'll say right there. They have a good mic, they have audacity which is very user-friendly and free. So it's it's a wonderful thing. They have their interface if they have an XLR mic, they have their 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 place nice and treated and everything, but then what do they do next? What would you say would be like the next thing that they should do? I have like a podcast cheat sheet that I've created, kind of like you said, like first it's the recording equipment, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's the hosting platform. Then it's, do you want to have music? Then it's, do you want to do transcriptions, right? It's first like thinking about all that goes into it. Yeah. Because there's actually a lot that goes into it. Do you want to have somebody do your intro outro or is that something that you personally want to do? So that's something to think about as well. Do you have graphics? Have you looked into the name of the podcast that you want to do? Have you trademarked that name? Have you looked for that name on all the socials where you can grab it? Does anybody else have that name? Does anybody else have that name that's similar? Mm -hmm. So there's research even that I feel like you need to do prior to starting a show. And then if there are other people that are doing something similar, what are they talking about? Can you maybe guest on their show first? Is there room for for you to... I always think that it's a good idea actually to guest on other people's shows before you try to do your own even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I recommend that. I because agree. Once you once you get comfortable and solid in telling your own story, then that's even, I feel like, going to make you a better interviewer and a better host. I definitely agree. That's how I started. I started out as a part of a roundtable discussion every week on a show with with other writers. And having done that for a couple of years, that inspired me to dive into getting my own show up and running. Yeah, I co-hosted a show first as well. So that one that I started off actually doing the research for, he started Mm -hmm. bringing me on as a co-host. And and that also was like another light bulb moment of, oh, wow, I love this format. I love doing this. I love being a part of it. So I worked for podcasters. I co-hosted a show. I guested on many shows. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you become on the mic. And I feel like it really prepares you then to be a host. And a better speaker, too. Because you can't help but improve as you go. So that's even that's even better. And 
like for you who just mentioned that you do a lot of like audio books, I mm-hmm. would connect with a lot of authors because yep. a lot of times authors don't want to read it themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those and, are the people that have asked me if I was interested in doing it. And that's that's how I've made my connections because I'm an author myself. So it's very easy to reach out to other authors and say, hey, they've even asked me, are you able to do this? Or you know, do you do someone else who will? Because it's not always, I'm not always the right fit. A lot of times they have their main character as a female. And if their main character is a female, I would have no business reading that. <laughs> but if they if they feel like they that I can pull it off, then great. I won't do a falsetto or anything, but I'll at least like do the very best I can for them. But I I love doing it. At at the end of the day, it's something that I truly love doing. So I'm glad that that I have that sort of connection. Yeah, that's really cool. Another thing I would say too is like when you are ready to get started, I would start with people who believe in you, mm-hmm. support you, are going to be flexible with you because in the mm-hmm. beginning, you're figuring things out. And so you need people who are going to be gracious. They're going to let you read the intro more than once. Yep. They're going to just jump in and have a conversation with you. And it might not be the perfect edit. It might not be the perfect sound. It might not be the perfect title. Y- you need to pick people who are team players. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And where can where can my listeners find you on social media? You can find me at bettercalldaddy.com and Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, all the socials. Excellent. Excellent. And thank you again so much for everything you've done for this show for this month. It's really truly appreciated. And I'm so glad that we were able to have you on as well to not only share your own experience, but also the story of your show itself. I think that that's a, that's a truly wonderful asset for, for all podcasters. Oh, well, thank you. You made it so easy and everybody should subscribe, drop you a five-star review and send you more authors, business people, and creatives. Absolutely. And see, this is, this is why we do what we do. This is why we make the connections that we make because People like Rena Friedman Watts will make your show better just by being around it. And will basically the fact that someone like that is is in the orbit now of Excelsior Journeys, it just it, it just raises the potential for how this show can can continue to, to evolve. And I hope that for all of you who are also podcasters who are looking to get your own stories out there, your own concepts out there, that you have a support system, exactly what Rena was talking about. You have to have those sort of people around you who believe in you, who support you, who will cheerlead you and will get the help you get the word out about what it is that that you're doing. Because as a creative, it's always difficult to, re- to do that. But if you have someone in your corner like Rena and like anyone else out there that is willing to reach out and help you to get to get your show to or your concept to where it needs to be then those are the people that you want around you so for rena friedman watts this is george saroy saying to all of you ever upward and i will see you next week Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.